<laughs> I'm going to come a little bit closer. I seem awful far away. So I do. Um, today we're heading in for a landing on our mini-series, God and Money. Last month we talked a lot about money and how it competes for our hearts. Uh, the week before last we talked about who we are as children of God and how our identity can only truly be found in Him and not in our external circumstances. It's not found in the size of our house, uh, the model of car that we drive, or even a job that we have. We're sons and daughters of the king, and we will uh, actually never be content unless we learn to trust in him. And here in the vineyard, we talk a lot about intimacy with Jesus. We're people who are learning to follow him obediently, to trust him, and to depend on him to meet all of our needs, be that spiritual, physical, or emotional. We're learning to trust him for everything. Did you just want to be closer yeah. to me? It's <laughs> great. Yeah, love it. Trust is needed more than ever in these times as our friends. Um, if you were keeping track of the news during the week, you'll know that a deadly hurricane caused so much devastation in Florida. And here in the UK, we had a political storm uh, as well. Um, the there was chaos in the financial markets, which caused the Bank of England to step in and buy government bonds. And so it's um, fair to say that there's a rising sense of panic sweeping across the world in these days. And we've just sang, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. tremble. Jesus, Jesus. You cast out fear. And it's really important in these times that we stay close to Jesus, that we seek out his wisdom for these times and receive his peace for this moment that we find ourselves in. At one point early last week, it looked like the Bank of England base rate might go up. Um, and I um, heard one well-known financial advisor say that people have just 24 hours to shore up their financial position. Now that intervention didn't happen. The Bank of England did something different. And so he just happened to be wrong on this occasion. But perhaps a lot of people scrambled madly to take his advice. Um, and I get what he was saying, but as followers of Jesus, our first response in a time of crisis should always be to look to him. Not to flap and, throw in and, 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 and go into a crisis along with everybody else. We are called to be a non-anxious presence to the, the world around us. And I believe that is one of the things that will actually mark us out in these days and in these times. That people might actually look at us as followers of Jesus and ask themselves, how do they have so much peace? It's not that we're necessarily going to be immune to any of the chaos that's out there. It's not that our circumstances are not going to be impacted. They might be. But we can still be a non-anxious presence despite our circumstances and despite the circumstances we find ourselves in in the wider economy at the minute. And I've said right throughout this mini-series that it might seem like a strange time to talk about money, but actually, I think we need to because the world's going a little bit mad about money at the minute. And I don't know what next week's newsreel Will look like. I don't know whether it will bring good news or bad news for our economy or for our personal finances, but I do know that there is a hope to be found in Jesus that is unshakable. 
I do know that we can have peace and enjoy a blessed assurance when we trust in him regardless of what is happening in our own financial situation or even in the UK economy. He is not panicked. Jesus is not panicked by any of this. He's unshakable. And when we keep our eyes on him, we will not be shaken. So if you have a, a Bible with you this morning, would you please turn to Matthew 6, verse uh, 19. Um, the words are also um, up on the screen for you as well. Uh, this is Jesus speaking to some of his followers as they were gathered together uh, on the side of a mountain. And I'm going to uh, start in verse 19. I'm going to read through to 21, and then I'm going to jump forward a little bit to verses 31 to 33. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And picking up at verse 31, he goes on to tell them, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Amen. Uh, we've uh, touched on um, this passage a few times as we've explored this whole area of money together, and hopefully by now we've learned that if we are to live like Jesus, then money shouldn't be the most important thing in our lives. A kingdom lifestyle is one that is centered on Jesus and his kingdom above all else. And here in this church, we believe that God has called each one of us to be kingdom carriers, to bring order to the chaos around us. So whether your week sees you in a hospital, a living room, a boardroom, or a classroom, God has called each one of us to be kingdom carriers. Earlier on in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus had been teaching people how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. He's invited us to seek first his kingdom above all else. And so to follow Jesus means letting go of our own little kingdoms and putting his kingdom above all of our needs and all of our wants. And one of the biggest battles that we face in learning how to follow Jesus is this battle over money and possessions and our, just our relationships with those things, right? It's just one of the biggest battles we face in following Jesus. And many of you um, grew up in church, and I know that for some of you, just money was just never spoken about. It was just kind of left as untouched. It feels so personal, doesn't it? And we can feel poked and offended sometimes when it is the topic of conversation. But actually, if we're going to live lives of kingdom impact, if we're going to leave a legacy that outlives us, then we need to make sure that we've got our priorities right. So that's why we're having this conversation about money, because we want to be a community that brings God's kingdom here in this city and leaves a legacy that outlives us. Uh, John Wimber, who um, 
It's kind of like the founding father of the vineyard movement. Um, he says, we've been redeemed at the cross and our entire lives were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. He now rightfully possesses the title deed to our souls and bodies, our aspirations and bank accounts. Unless you realize this as a believer, that God is the owner of everything in your life, then every teaching you hear on finances is in vain. That quote's a little bit offensive, isn't it? Certainly I, I find it that way. It pokes me and it prods me a little bit. The way Jesus talked about money was and still is completely countercultural. It doesn't align with that all-so-familiar me, me, me narrative that we often hear all around us. Just some of the things I heard and I've mentioned already. Sort out your own financial situation. Shore it up. Look after yourself. But what about everybody else around us? As long as we're okay. That was the narrative that I heard. And do you know, by the way, that, that Satanism is less about the worship of Satan and more about self-worship? One of the enemy's strategies for your life is for you to be focused on yourself. To be self-absorbed because that's actu that actually reflects his own nature. But Jesus calls us to be selfless, to be like him. Our Heavenly Father is the greatest giver that we will ever know. We know that His love for us was so great that it compelled Him to send Jesus to become a man and die on the cross, that we can have a full relationship with Him. And the sacrificial way that Jesus lived is the way that we are called to live. So if you want to live a powerful and significant life, then come and follow Jesus. Come and follow his way and his example. And I want to ask a question this morning uh, to all of us, including myself. It's a question as followers of Jesus, it's important to keep asking ourselves. And that question is, are we really following Jesus? Are we really following his way or have you decided to do it your way? That's the choice we face every day. Will I do it my way or will I let him have his way? Sons and daughters do not conform to the pattern of this world. They do not allow themselves to be shaped by the narratives of the culture around them. So when the world looks at money and selfishly says, me, 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 or get, 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 you need to know that those rules, they just don't apply to us. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, they're just complete opposites. So the narrative of more, more, more that you see or look after yourself, that's not the story that we're part of. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having money and being wealthy, um, but we need to be careful not to make a God out of it. Because we do things entirely differently in the kingdom of God. We lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven by seeking first his kingdom. And one of the primary ways that we invest in the kingdom of heaven is by giving. Giving's kind of like saving, except you put it in God's bank account, which has a much better interest rate. 
And there are two types of giving, which are both biblical, that I want to briefly talk about today. And the first one is tithing. Um, the concept of tithing um, goes right back to the first um, book in the Bible, Genesis, where Abel brings God the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Uh, that's in Genesis 4, and we see the same principle again in Genesis chapter 28. Quickly run through some of these verses from Genesis 28. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me in this journey, I am taken and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give back a tenth. And if we were to flick forward a few books to Deuteronomy, we would see that it was formalized in uh, the law that was established through Moses. And then the very last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, uh, he rebukes God's people for failing to tithe. And he says this, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and you've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be that there will, yeah, there will not be room enough to store it. So, um, we can see that this um, tithing principle, it ran right throughout the Old Testament from the first book, Genesis, to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, and some would say that this is maybe no longer relevant because we're now under a new covenant. Uh, the old law has been abolished. But yet, um, in, in a number of places, Jesus appears to uphold this idea of tithing. And here's one of them, Luke chapter 11. He's speaking to the Pharisees, rebuking them as he often did. He says, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he was giving the Pharisees a right old ticking off for not loving people, but he didn't tell them to stop tithing. In fact, he said they still ought to tithe, just don't neglect the justice and the love of God. So what he was actually doing was he was actually challenging the heart behind the giving. That it wasn't about religious obligation and outward appearance, but it was actually about love. Our giving is supposed to be a joyful response to all that God has done for us. It's an overflow. It's part of our worship. It's out of our love and affection for Jesus. That's why we do it. You know, it's, it's not a salvation issue. Okay, we can't buy our way into heaven. The grace Jesus gives us at the, cro at the cross is freely given. But it's in response to that grace that we give. Giving is, is, is one of the ways 
that we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus. When we allow him to have his way in our lives, we begin to radiate with the glory of God. That's why we give. Nothing shapes our hearts more than giving. Um, whenever our kids were a little bit younger, um, we took them up a mountain in the morns, and uh, we all had our water bottles with us. Um, I had said something to them like, you know, you can drink, uh, you can drink mountain water, you know, from fast-running rivers and streams and, and that sort of stuff. So they were running up with these water bottles, ready to kind of fill up their water bottles and drink off the mountain. Really excited about that, and and like not only we were just like out of the car and and at the first puddle, they're like, "Daddy, Daddy, can we can we drink that?" And I'm like, "No, definitely don't want to touch that. That's that's not going to do you any good at all." Um, and just as we, as we journeyed up the mountain and we hadn't even reached the river yet, they kept finding these puddles and kept asking me, Dad, is it okay to drink out of this? And I, I had to keep saying, no, no, it has to be like really fast running water in a river or a stream to be able to drink it. And eventually we got to one of those and we were able to fill up our water bottles and drink from the mountain. And you know, it's the same with our hearts. If we're not giving or serving, our hearts actually become stagnant and our lives just don't bring refreshment to others. But when we choose to give of our time and of our money and of our resources, it starts to turn our hearts into a wellspring of life. One that can bring joy and encouragement to others. I don't know about you, but I know what I want for my life. I'd rather be a spring than a puddle. And we talked a little bit about this biblical principle of tithing. Um, I uh, personally do believe in tithing. I believe that we're called to give a minimum of 10%, and that should primarily be to the local church of which you're part of. Um, and whilst I st say that, um, I, I still want you to know that here in the vineyard, you're, you're so welcome whether you choose to give or not to give. Um, and we really do mean that, particularly if you're still exploring faith and life with Jesus. We, w we want nothing more for you than to see you follow Jesus with your whole heart. But we want this church to be a safe place that we can come as we are and just wrestle with this stuff. And that applies if you're wrestling with money or sexuality or addiction or whatever. Just come as you are. All of us are broken and messed up in some way, but what we believe that Jesus meets us in our brokenness and invites us to walk his way. So please come as you are this morning. But if you stick around here for long enough, you're probably going to bump into the beauty and the grace of Jesus. And when that happens, it's actually impossible to stay as we are. In terms of tithing, I really don't want us to get legalistic about this either. So if you're not convinced about this 10% thing, um, that's okay. Uh, my advice would be to start asking Jesus what he wants from you. And that's a great question. What do you want me to give, Jesus? What are you inviting me into? And maybe another question that goes with that is, what do you want me to give up or to lay down? And so... Um, this is going to sound really simple, but as the cost of the living crisis uh, perhaps escalates, 
um, we might face some choices around what's important to us. Um, and every morning uh, during the week, um, a little coffee van comes around all the offices in the area where I work, and the coffee they sell is like really, really good. It's nice, it's nice coffee. And uh, he's got all the proper machines and, and all that sort of stuff. And it just like feels good when you're just at the start of your day to get a, a really good coffee. Um, and just the other week, I was sitting down um, at home and, and looking at all of our outgoings as family and, and realizing, hey, uh, all those coffees, they, they add up. I didn't realize I spent so much money on coffee. Um, and so the, the next day, I, I decided actually um, everybody else was, well, most other people were flooding outside and joining the queue uh, for the coffee van. Um, and I decided to go in the kitchen instead and make my own coffee. Now, um, I, I, don't, I don't need any pity. It's just coffee. Um, I had good ground coffee and my own little mini cafeteria. I wasn't drinking any of the instant stuff. Times aren't that bad. Um, but, but it probably only cost me 5 or 10p a cup instead of £2.80. And I'll still treat myself every so often. Um, but I'm just not going to spend as much on coffee. And really interestingly, um, as I was in the kitchen boiling the kettle, getting ready to make my coffee, one of my colleagues who was kind of on his way out to join the queue, he poked his head into the kitchen and says, Hey Ben, you're not getting a coffee. And I says, no, I'm just going to make my own today. I realized how much um, I was spending on those coffees, and I have actually just decided I've got more important things to spend money on. And uh, no joke, uh, his words back to me were, well, I figure that I deserve it. What could be more important than spending money on yourself? Right? <laughs> so, case study one. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'd rather cut back on coffees and takeaways and meals out and luxury items before I cut back on the money that I choose to invest in God's kingdom. I've decided long ago that his kingdom is the number one priority in my life. And I'm prepared to make other sacrifices. And probably lots of us have similar choices to make. And another word for that type of choice is sacrifice, isn't it? Giving is supposed to be sacrificial because it's worship. It has to cost us something. So maybe um, God's calling you to re-examine your finances again like, like we did and choose not only what to give but what to give up. Now I also want to just kind of caveat what I'm saying here by saying we as a family, we're not facing um, some of the really hard choices between uh, giving and heating our homes or running the tumble dryer or eating a decent meal or any of those things, right? This is like coffee or no coffee. Not even coffee or no coffee, just okay coffee and really good coffee. Like that's a really hard choice, isn't it? But some people are actually facing those really difficult choices and I want to say with the pastor's heart this morning that I really don't want anybody to feel like giving is more important than those things, than like eating a decent meal or heating our homes. Those are necessary things, right? They're not luxury things. Most of us hopefully won't face that choice, but some of us might. And I know that there is some people in our church that actually are facing more of a choice around that. So I want to be careful about how we talk about these things this morning. 
I don't have time to get into a theological debate or discussion around this, but whilst we believe that the Bible still does teach 10%, I also know that our Father is a loving Father. And whilst I might give up my luxury flat whites, I don't believe he wants any of us to go hungry. I know that's not his heart for anybody. So please don't be driven by legalism. We're not doing this to tick a box so that he loves us more. His heart is bursting for us regardless of whether it is 1% or 10%, okay? And actually, the best way to answer the question of how much to give is to read our Bibles and to come before Jesus expectantly in prayer with thanksgiving for everything that he's given us. That's the starting place. Again, thanking him and then, and then ask him. Be ready for an answer that might take us out of our comfort zone. So, um, that's tithing. Um, we're going we're gonna to move on a little bit now and talk a little bit about offerings. Um, offerings are over and above tithes, right? That's where it really gets fun and we can really get to be a blessing to one another. Um, about seven or eight years ago, I was at the Vineyard National Leaders Conference in Nottingham and uh, there was an offering being taken to support a couple of different ministries. Now, the NLC National Leadership Conference has moved out to April, but it used to be at the end of January every year. Um, January is normally a hard month for people financially, right? Just after Christmas, everybody's just kind of realizing they, they spent over a little bit and, uh, and having to sort of pull back in. And for us, um, both of our cars at that time were due MOTs in February. And I was, I was feeling the strain of a depleting um, bank balance, but yet here was someone um, suggesting I give over and above the regular 10%. And I've got to be honest, I was a little bit shaken by it. I felt a little bit uncomfortable. And so um, as I kind of wrestled with this idea of, should we give more? Um, I'm, I, I kind of moaned a little bit to God um, and prayed a little bit, probably mostly moaning, but very clearly um, felt him say back to me, do you trust me, Ben? Do you trust me? And this is at a time whenever um, our kids were younger. Micah wasn't even born at that stage. Um, kind of work patterns had changed over those sort of years. Rebecca was was working very few hours. Our household income had reduced quite a bit, yet expenditure, as it does with children, uh, had gone up quite a bit. And so in the middle of all of that, here was an invitation to give more away. And I remember it unsettling me and just making me feel quite uncomfortable. But I started to realize if, that I, was gonna, if I was gonna fully trust God, then I needed to lead with my wallet. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your heart follows your wallet. So I said, if, if, I, if I start giving more, then maybe I'll start trusting more. Didn't wait until I started to trust more. I kind of took a little bit of a risk and thought, if I start giving more, then maybe I will start trusting more. Sounds a bit risky, but maybe that's what God is calling me to do. Now, the problem is, we normally want this to work the other way, don't we? We normally think, if God can just give me lots of money, then I'll start to give him more. 
But the problem with that is it just doesn't require any faith. It's kind of playing it safe. And if there's one thing I know, we're not actually called to be people that play it safe. John Wimber often used to say, faith is spelt. You guys got it. (laughs) So we started an experiment, if you like. We started giving significantly more on a monthly basis. So much so that when I built it into our little Excel monthly budget, the bottom line started just to go red. I see a couple of looks around the room. Excel lovers. (laughs) Don't show Rebecca an Excel spreadsheet. She'll just run as far as she can possibly run. (laughs) Even if it's just words and no numbers. Some people love it, some people don't. I happen to be one that loves it. Anyway, it started to go red. um, But guess what? Over and over again, as we've said yes to God, we've seen him provide for us. We've seen him provide for us as a family. And sure, it's cost us. It's cost us significantly. But he is the pearl of great price. And to be able to partner with him to build his kingdom, that's worth all I got. I want to get to the end of my days here on planet Earth and know that I have given everything to him, that I've gone after his kingdom, that I haven't held back, that I've prioritized him. And sure, I'll make some mistakes, but I want his kingdom to be the most important thing in my life. So what do we do with our offerings? Um, this is the really fun part. We can, we can actually use our offerings to bless other people, okay? It might be supporting a family who we know are going through a really hard time. It might be to sponsor other children. Just follow the lead of the Spirit and have some fun here. And that gift that we have received as a church family um, from Belfast City Vineyard, um, that was... Um, that was a free will offering that was taken as the baskets were passed last Sunday morning in, in uh, their service, last Sunday afternoon actually when they were meeting. And um, that was people giving predominantly over and above. That was a free will offering. And we have the joy of being the recipients of that. I... Um, talked um, a few weeks ago about whenever I was younger, mom and dad, their car broke down and, and, and all the rest of it. And, and we had a season where we actually had no family car until somebody rocked up with a car and gave it to my mom and dad. And I, I will never forget that day. We all kind of flooded out in the middle of the winter, all flooded out of the house and looked at this car. Somebody dangling the keys and said, it's yours. What a joy to be able to bless other people And at times we get to receive, and at times we get to give and to bless others. And so it might be we actually use that over and above bit to sponsor other children. Perhaps it's actually, you know, paying for a couple bags of shopping for some people that we know that actually really need it in this time. And there is plenty of people who will need it in this season. Perhaps it's paying for somebody you know who just don't get out for a meal and we can can offer uh, a little bit of a gift voucher or whatever to, to send them out for a meal together. Um, 
there's so many ways and examples, but all I would say is just have an open heart and listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Allow him to lead you and then have some fun here. Uh, I want us to remember um, back to the start of October or of September even when Peter unpacked those verses at the end of Acts chapter 4. Um, I promise you it wasn't set up like this to be the passage um, directly before our mini-series on money. It just happened that way or perhaps um, God set us up. But I want to circle back to that passage really quickly because I think this passage holds a key for us in the midst of the current crisis in which some people amongst us might actually find themselves in need. Here it is, Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 35. It said, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons amongst them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, um, I can bear witness to this. Some people in our church do this already. It just quietly and without making a fuss, give money away to other people around them who they know are in need. Now, the only reason I know about this is because the people who've received have come to us in great joy and told us about the gifts they've received. It's happened a number of times in our church over the last number of years, and it's just incredible. This is what the community of the king looks like. This is the way it was for the early church, and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will stir up even more of that same generosity amongst us, that as we go through this storm that seems to be blowing around us, God stirs up generosity amongst us so that there's no one in need. And I believe that that will mark us out in the days and years ahead. Before um, I wrap this up, I want you to check out this video which features Rick Warren um, from Saddleback Church in America um, being uh, interviewed by Nikki Gumbel um, from Holy Trinity Brompton. And hopefully the sound will work here. If not, I'll have to go and have a wee look at it. But here we go. Nope. Here we go. No, we don't. Why don't you talk amongst yourselves for a moment? A laptop was working earlier and it's... Yeah, certainly, Rachel. 
Just the other day, um, I just to encourage us all to pray for God's um, favour and blessing when we go shopping. The other day I went round to Ashby Shops and they were just reducing a load of food to 30p and I got a freezer full of food and it said on the thing that you save £30. So it's just encouraging us as a church, like when, before we go out, God, your favour, your blessing. And just even ask him, like, when's the right time to go? Because I believe that we can all come through this crisis really strong and testify as a church. Yeah, we made it through. So, thank you, Ben. Somebody was picking on me there. It was turned down to zero on the desk. <laughs> Who would do such a thing to me? Um, the antidote to materialism, which is the temptation now, I see it and I want it, is, is generosity. And generosity is you can give without loving but you cannot love without giving if you want to become like Christ which is by the way the goal of life Romans 8 29 you must learn to be generous and you must learn to be more and more generous every year and that's been a, a long journey in my life but just say what you've done in terms of your own life in terms of generosity When Kay and I got married 37 years ago, we made a commitment that we would be, would be more generous every single year. So when we got married 37 years ago, we first started with the basic tithe, 10%. Tithe means 10%. The Bible says in Malachi 3, you're not tithing, you're robbing God. It's God's money. So we made a commitment. When we got married, God gets paid first in our life. Not leftovers, God gets paid first. We may be in debt to everybody else, but we are not going to be in debt to God. The first 10% goes to God. At the end of our first year of marriage, we raised our tithe to 11%. At the end of our second year of marriage, we raised it to 12%. At the end of our third year of marriage, we raised it to 13%. On years that we would uh, get a raise or things would go good, we'd raise it 3 or 4%. On years that we were flat broke and the cupboard was bare and we were barely making it, we'd raise it a quarter percent. Because every year, we were going to be more generous. Now, we weren't doing this to show off, Nikki. I didn't tell anybody about it for nearly 30 years. Uh, but we each year we kept raising it and raising it and raising it. Um, this last year we raised it another percent. Uh, Kay and I give away 91% and live on nine. Now, I, I have lived in a, I've been playing this game with God for 37 years. Where God says, okay, hey, Rick, we're going to play this game. You give to me, and I'll give to you, and we'll see who wins. I have lost that game for 37 years. You cannot outgive God. I dare you. I dare you. So there we go. Thanks, Rachel, for coming up and sharing with us. Here's my uh, challenge for us this morning. Would you prayerfully consider giving sacrificially so that as a church family that we can continue to create, to create an environment where more people can connect with Jesus so that we can pursue the kingdom with greater intensity, so that we can serve the poor and the marginalized in our community, and so that we can continue to raise up a dangerous generation. Back before we launched this church, someone we know had a picture of a great big old tree. And under that tree, there were just hundreds of people gathered. And what they noticed in this picture 
was that not only did that, that tree provide shelter for those who gathered, but it was also the source of life and fruitfulness to the entire community. And what we're doing here in Bangor Vineyard might look small now. It might seem like our impact is relatively small too at this stage, but God is calling us to leave a legacy that outlives us. And that might mean that we give away our time, our money, and our resources to establish something that will be the source of life and impact for generations to come. That's what we're doing here. And just as we were sent out from uh, Belfast City Vineyard to plant and establish a life-giving kingdom community here in Bangor, I dream of and I see a day when we get to send out people to plant and establish church plants and see God's kingdom come all over Ireland and further afield. We're people who are dreaming about leaving a legacy that outlives us. And not only are we dreamers, but we are dangerous dreamers, for we act on our dreams with open eyes to make them possible. It's a kind of Lawrence of Arabia quote that we were wrestling with in the men's life group a number of weeks ago. We're dangerous dreamers here in Bangor Vineyard. So I'm just going to get really practical for a moment. There are three ways that you can give. The details are on this uh, postcard that I'm going to um, pass around. Um, Keith, if you wouldn't mind just helping me uh, circulate those, that would be great. Um, the simplest way uh, to give is online, so you can go onto our website and go to the giving page. On that page there, there is a link and you can make a one-off donation there or set up a regular donation. Uh, and everything should be explained on the postcard. Uh, if you prefer setting up a standing order the old-fashioned way, then we have some, s some forms here this morning that you can fill in and pop in the giving box at the back of the room. I'll actually just put them on the table at the back um, for us later on. But as I draw this to your close, and Keith, if you want to come back up and lead us in worship again in a moment, um, as I draw this to a close, this isn't really about us getting your money. Every single time we've stepped out and, and obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit, God has always provided what we've needed as a church family. So I'm not really worried about where the money's coming from, but what I do care about is whether or not we are submitting ourselves fully to Jesus, because that will shape the kind of people that we will become. And nothing shapes our hearts more than giving. Let's stand and uh, I'm going to pray for us as we begin just to worship together again. Father, I ask that you give us a revelation of who you are, Lord. Lord, where this just feels uncomfortable for us, Lord, where this just feels like, oh, a little bit of a battle, Lord. Thank you that you're loving and you're kind and you're patient and you're gracious with us, Lord. Lord, that you want the best for us, not the worst for us, Lord. Lord, you're, you're not wanting to make us miserable, but you're wanting to lead us into life, into abundance of life, Lord. So, Lord, we say yes to you this morning. We want to be kingdom shakers. We want to be kingdom carriers. We want to be a people who 
leave a legacy. We want to get to the end of our days and say that we didn't hold back. So Lord, would you grace us with your presence this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.